<clears throat> Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. Welcome, especially to those who are visiting today. It's good to have you. And uh, we have been working through the book of Habakkuk, and um, this book has been working on some of us. Amen. And um, so I welcome you today again and um, hope that you can jump right in with us. Um, so we have come to the last chapter of Habakkuk in what I would describe as his final resolve in all that he has heard from the Lord. Remember, Habakkuk was bothered by the crazy behavior of God's people and what looked like God's apathetic, nonchalant, don't-care don't attitude towards it. He wanted God to act. Well, God tells Habakkuk that he is acting, but that Habakkuk may not like it or be able to accept how God was going to fix and make things better. Because as God revealed to Habakkuk, he was going to use the evil Babylonian empire, taking them over as disciplinary action on his people to get them right. Well, yeah, Habakkuk doesn't like this plan. And with as much, as, as much respect as possible, complains and pleads to God for what God plans to do. And God lets Habakkuk know that it's coming anyway, but that if it makes you feel any better, in the end, when the dust settles, it will be the Babylonians who will be used and abused, buried and burned, cursed and crushed. And when God lays out his divine plan, this sovereign, this train has already left the station to do what I want, prophecy, he ends it with this verse at the end of chapter 2. Verse 20, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. And Habakkuk's response, he shuts up and sings. And all of his wrestling with God and the world and his personal ideas of what was right and wrong and best for God to do and when and how God was going to do it, Habakkuk hushes his complaints and writes and sings a song to God. And in his song here in chapter 3, we are called to join him in a song, in a lifestyle, in a new way of responding to God, a song that is a result, number one, of God coming in and changing our tune. Secondly, of God giving us a renewed song, and finally, of God freeing us to be able to sing to and with him. Like Habakkuk was in the first two chapters, I believe many of us, me included, are sometimes stuck living in complaint mode. Stuck living and, and waiting, angry for God to do what and when we want God to do it. We do it. And, and when I say we, I am talking about believer and unbeliever alike, churchy and unchurched. Many of us are disgusted and sick and tired with how God has allowed and allowing our lives in this world to roll out. 
We are depressed with our marriages, our relationship statuses, our finances, our job situation, the social systems of the world being on the bottom. And though it is right and okay to feel and be concerned and express to God and even seek God in these things, some of us are stuck. And I've been stuck for years on the same one track and can't hear any other songs and and can't really with our hearts join in any other songs of redemption and hope and joy and peace. Because we've been burned. And things don't seem to be getting any better. You thought that God would have done this or that by now in this way. You were told in college that God had a wonderful plan for your life. And you bought a hook, line, and sinker. In fact, some of us took up the cause and became the Habakkuk of our day, fighting and concerned about what was godly, true, and right, and witnessing. And then God let whatever your version of the Babylonians loose on you and your Christianity, your belief systems, your zealous Christian comfort, and biblical certainty. God used circumstances and life to lift the top and whitewash off of our lives, calling us to deeper maturity, and now we find it hard to trust him and sing with any sense of freedom because in the midst of your stalled and stale story of being afraid that when you turn the page, it'll just be more or less less of an unpredictable, might be abusive, the other divine shoe-dropping God. And for us, wild donkey-living fools, I call you, you're the Babylonians, right? Fool that God is letting you get off the hook. Same thing applies because either now or later, like Habakkuk experience, we must shut up. We must change. We must stop playing the tracks of angry, at odds, scared, and insecure of God or do what you like, foolishness. And in most of chapter two of this book, God changes. Habakkuk's sheer disappointment and desire for things to go his way, not by shutting out Habakkuk's concerns and real and felt hurts, but by changing the tune and tone of it. Look at verse 20 in chapter 2 again, and then verses 1 and 2 in chapter 3. It says, but the Lord is in his holy temple, that all the earth keeps silence before him. And then it jumps down and it says a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shagion. Oh, Lord, I have heard the report of you in your work. Oh, Lord, do I... Do I fear in the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known in wrath. Remember mercy. I don't know whether you can feel the flow. And and if you hadn't been through this whole series with us or, or if you hadn't read this book straight through, it's hard to feel the flow of what happens here without reading chapter one through three straight through, right? But Habakkuk comes with this concern again about the way things are going, hears from God and then complains about what God is going to do. And then God comes back with a, this is how and what is going to happen. And there is this silence in verse 20 that God calls for that precedes Habakkuk's song in chapter three. And Habakkuk 
Habakkuk describes it as a awe-filled, right? Fearful silence before the report or upon hearing what God is going to do, upon hearing the voice of God, upon hearing the conclusive absolute word of God, there is this silence. You want to make people get quiet at a loud concert or something? You want to stop the music and the flow of things or, or singing, singing anywhere? And y'all have experienced it at Christ Central Church here on the stage. Let some feedback happen, right? That big, sometimes like this real loud sound. And what happens? Everyone goes quiet because they don't know if it's him or them, right? They don't know what's going on. The band stops playing. The people start singing because something is disturbing the tune. And you know, for a talker and driven person like me, and some of you, I know I'm not alone. You know, when something is getting to me, when I have nothing left to say, and that's rare, right? It, there's nothing to explain away. There's nothing left. There's no resources. I can't make a story out of it. I can't, I can't paint a picture out of it. I majored in English. I know how to write my way out of it or speak my way out of it. But when there's nothing left to say, when there's a wall, an interruption, a diversion from my storyline, my way of thinking, my way of living, there is this silence. Many of you may be too young to know the noise of a harshly done change on a record player. Y'all remember those days? Don't do it on daddy's record player. He had that diamond needle. Remember that thing? He had the silver colored one. You had the one in a box with the latch on it. You remember that? It was okay if you, and it had a speaker built in, right? Yeah, y'all, our music was carried around as something this big. We opened it, put a record play on it, and if it was a 45, you had to put the little thing in the middle, put it on there, and drop the needle. But the sound of a harshly changed track on a record play, it is this chic, loud sound of the needle dragging, not just up, but, but off and over to the next track on the record, and everyone's like, hey, man. Don't scratch my records. And it sounds much like the word in verse 1 of chapter 3, right? Shagayon. Right? Yeah, I did it. I'm going to make this work theologically for y'all. Shagayon. It's interesting because, you know, I read in my commentaries, you know what Shagayon means? They don't know. But some of the scholars guessed. And most of them guessed the same way. And I like the way it's guessed because I'm going with it, okay? Because in the context, it just makes sense. It's a musical term they believe that means an obvious, vibrant, get your attention, things are changing, changing the tempo, tone, or tone of the music. It is a track change. So in verse 2, you have these complaints. I mean, chapter 2, you have these complaints. And then there's silence and I learned some Hebrew today. Shagayon. It looked like Shigayonoth or something, right? But it's Shagayon. Habakkuk gets, in chapter 2, understand what happens. He gets divine feedback and it leads to silence from him because God is clearly calling for a change in the tune. 
to stop and shut up complaint mode. It was great. It was awesome while it lasted. Yes, I feel you. I felt you. I love you. I hear you, my child, right? But it's time to move on to something more than what he complained about or experienced or expressed before. And God's interruption, break and feedback with his truth, silence, and shagion is God changing the tune for Habakkuk in our lives. So what does that mean for me and you? Like Habakkuk, when God speaks to us through his word, when God gives us divine feedback, it hushes, right? And it should hush. And I'm gonna even say this, it should cause us to go into this confusion just for a little while. Because you and I have been thinking a certain way, we've been living a certain way, we've been running a certain way, we've been feeling about God a certain way, and then God speaks back at us. And let me tell you, when God speaks, there is this change, this hush, this on to move on, right? To, to something and somewhere else for God's glory. It stops the loop playback, the one or two track de determinations and disappointments about ourselves and God. Man, you and I, we are good at singing our songs of complaint. Especially in this church, we're broken. We're broken. Broken record. We're down. This happened to me. Oh, and that's good. I welcome it. God welcomes it. But this is a call. Did you know there is more to the gospel? Did you know there was more to Christian limit, living? And God is saying, you know, it's time to loop back the, the disappointments of ourselves and God that, that are limited and plain wrong, some of you. The, the, the scratched and sin-damaged disc or record of played out over and over, melancholy, ne nothing ever works out, God hates me, or it is hard to get excited about God. God's divine voice comes to shut it off so that God can change the tune of our lives. Silence. I don't know a lot about that. Hear my wife laughing, and people around me don't know a lot about that. Submission. Stopping speaking for and from only your views. Hurts, pains, and personal triumphs even may be a sign, hear me, may be a sign of finally accepting God's sovereign voice over your life. I'm confused. Good. I don't know what to say. Good. God said some good things and my life is so bad, I just got to be quiet. Good. Silence here means this. This is going to be hard for us to hear. I didn't want to write it. But I looked around the Bible to make sure it wasn't just here. I do that, y'all. I, I look around to make sure it's consistent. Just so you know, that's how they train me. Okay? I'm a theological killing machine. That's how they train me. <laughs> I have to be deprogrammed late in life. Not that my helicopter can't crash. Okay, let me quit. Let me quit. Silence here means I don't have the right. Hear me now. And it's not okay. Y'all don't like to hear direct stuff. It is not okay 
for me to carry on living cynically and depressed and disappointed with God. Whoa, I've been living like that for years. It's not okay. It's not okay. Then, this is the, the second half of that. Don't just get me on the first half. Of then holding up and holding back glory, submission, obedience, service, sacrifice to each other in the church, do to the things due to God because it says, because I am not God, I am not allowed to keep grooving and living life according to my own mood music and soundtrack that I've made for my life. God's given you a lot of chapters to complain. Now listen to what he's got to say. It's time to loose and let go and reform possibly years of apathy and fears and struggles and despair. Silence means that maybe my life has been found and stopped and arrested as out of order and possibly disobedient and continue to live and be at odds with angry, with disappointed, with less than impressed by and distrusting of God. Habakkuk, excuse me, is telling us these verses, wrote these verses as a divine call and opportunity. Get this, an opportunity for you and me to move on and change our tune and retune our lives to the word and voice of God. And we talked in chapter one. God is just as concerned about the world. He's hurt too, right, in some sense, in the divine sense. He's looking at the world and he's crying too. He has emotions. He sees your life. He cares. But you know what's still true? He's still good and he's due complete joyful praise. Habakkuk is calling you and me to sing not just a new song, but God's renewed, renewed song for our lives. So when Habakkuk hears that life is going to be crappy for God's people for a while, but for their good and God's glory, he asks God in verse 2 of this song, uh, verse 2 of this song in chapter 3, Oh Lord, I've heard the report of you and your work. Oh Lord, do I fear. I stand in awe. I stand in silence. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. Lord, you know, in the midst of the years, revive it, make it known. And there is a lot of debate and discussion in these commentaries about what these years refer to. And I go with the view that the years are the hard years where God is going to fulfill his promise that he talks about in chapter one and two and three, right? That he's going to bring the Babylonians and make havoc of God's country and his people for a while to purify them. And then he's going to get rid of the Babylonians after that. Now, it could mean to this one instance in history, but you know, it could also refer to the course of somebody's life in the midst of this time. It could refer to life and history itself but from the beginning of the world and to the end when Christ comes back. In these years of struggle, in these years of uncertain, in these years where it's easy to have a one-track complaint life, revive it. Make it known. 
And so he's singing prayerfully with a change in tempo. No more whining and complaining, right? Revive it and make it known. And what is it? And I think it has a dual meaning, right? I think Habakkuk is saying, you're God, this is your world. Bring it on how you want to do your thing to, to it and in it. I hush and give it into your sovereignty, right? But it also means, Lord, bring it the promise you made to love and care and be our God and never leave or forsake us no matter what. It being God, what you promised before the Babylonians were even the Babylonians. We see this in verse three. God came from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. Now, let me tell you what this does. I'm, I, I studied this for a long time, but I, I want to just boil it down here. It gives us the historical God and his people with his people image. Holy one is the name God gives to his people for himself at Mount Sinai, where he gives the Ten Commandments to Moses and basically gives the marriage vows, if you will, between him and his people in writing. Mount Sinai, at Mount Sinai, God's people even dressed in white like, like a bride, right? To meet God, the holy one at the mountain. They were married to God at Mount Sinai. And that when it mentions God coming to both, both coming from both um, Mount Paran and Taman. Taman is where God met Moses in the wilderness. And then when it says he came, the picture is one of the sun rising over these mountains in the east to bring light to the darkness and to the whole world. Now, going back to verse and joining that with verse two, what is, is Habakkuk's song asking God Habakkuk is asking and singing about a God who will continue to grow his relationship and continue to be the loving father and God for them in the midst of very hard years. That he will be the same God with the same promises from when he first loved them. From when he first said, I love you. And men as people with promises and gifts that said, I love you and never will leave you or forsake you. I will make you holy and better. That they would be able to know that and experience that and sing that even in the midst of uncertainty and turmoil and trouble. Sometimes when you look back at your old wedding pictures, we even went to a wedding yesterday, Valders, David Valder, got married yesterday, a little 10-year-old David Valder up there getting married. <laughs> he's actually 20-something, but he still looks 10 to me because that's when I first saw him, you know. He just looked like a 10-year-old with a beard. That's okay. Now he's a 10-year-old with a wife. What's going on? I know I'm not getting any older, so... But for those of you who are married or, or some of those old graduation pictures, some of you who finished school or old prom pictures, even pictures of your parents holding you were a baby or bringing you home on the day you were adopted. Some of you look at the picture of your diploma on the wall. Sometimes when things get hard, in a hard in a, or in a hard place or haven't worked out like you thought, some of us look back and say, if we only knew, right? Man, we were happy on that day. And we were stupid and young and ignorant, right? But we were hopeful. We were believing then. We were ridiculously convinced that we would love and be loved. That we would succeed. That we would be successful. 
Man, nothing's like that first day for almost everything good that happened in your life, right? I don't know what you are in the midst of right now in circumstance or feeling. But unlike us, God was never ignorant or young or stupid or fooled by the day in eternity past when he decided to make you and me his. The day you were his is every day to him. Every day to him, the Bible says, is like the first day. He promised and vowed and held and gushed over you and enjoyed and danced over you and me. Why? Because God doesn't change even though the circumstances does do and hasn't changed or lied or forgotten or gotten bitter or disillusioned or disappointed or faded over the years. And so when Habakkuk says, God, revive it, make it known, he's not asking God to make it known to himself to be alive and the same like he was before, but that he would help you and me remember and live every day in that first day truth of God's love and care and joy of excite and excitement over us now. And as verse 2 says, in the midst of the unsure and difficult years, be the God you are and were and always will be on that first day. Be fresh to us now. Revive us today, Lord, with how you always and always will act on our behalf and feel about it. Habakkuk is saying, somehow, Lord, give this life new life. Give this old ruined pain in the behind life, life again today. In the rain or in the pain, from that old lyric of biblical truth, make it known new today. You know how God makes it known in a way that revives us. This is interesting. Man, I didn't know I was going to go ahead. So I'm, I'm like you, right? I'm just letting you know, like when I'm working on these kind of things, I'm like you. I'm just journeying through the passage and I'm like, oh, my Lord, right? This is what I discovered. Do you know how God makes it known in a way that revives us? God sings his song over us. And it gives a whole new meaning to the report Habakkuk heard because it was not just the harsh news. What, what God sings all the time, every day. It is the same song from the first day he knew and made us when things were all loving and brand new to us. And if we just shut up our condemning, self-deprecating, doubting lyric, or if we want the condemning, self-deprecating, doubtful lyric and disappointed, cynical, right, just caught up and depressed by the world lyric to be drowned out, we can and must hear his loving song over us today. In fact, Zephaniah, another prophet, says it best. And he uses, this is interesting, he uses the exact same words as Habakkuk does about silence and being in the midst. Listen what Zephaniah says. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save you. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will Quiet, silence, you by his love. He will exult and rejoice over you with what? Loud singing. Get this, the silence producing 
shutting up feedback by God's loud voice was not one of disappointment and discouragement of being ashamed of you and me, but a song of love and care for you and me with full confidence that his love would not leave you in the midst of whatever you're going through. One of the most beautiful wedding ceremonies I've witnessed was when Kelly's cousin Darius got married to his wife Joanne. You know, the brother had to go over the top. The rest of us married folk were like, man. He sang to her. <laughs> go, guy. No, go, dude. <laughs> She's coming down the aisle, you know, sometimes here comes the bride, but he sang. Their brother couldn't even make it through. <laughs> Crying. But the crying is just part of the song, right? Just the joy, just, just being overwhelmed, right? And, 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 you know, some of y'all out there, you know, y'all got a jam. You know, a song that's y'all song. It don't have to be y'all. It could be your song. The song you use to pump yourself up, maybe Rocky or something. I don't, I don't know. It, it, it could be a song of friendship when you graduated. When I graduated, it was friends are friends forever. Remember that? And everybody crying, we're going to be best friends forever. No, we're not. <laughs> I see you at the 20th anniversary, you know, catch you up on Facebook, won't check on you ever again. But we remember crying, we were never going to depart, right? Other people, it was, pray for me. Michael W. Smith made some money on that. <laughs> and that song got and gets you through. I'm sure when times get hard, Darius, that's his secret weapon. When things get hard, when Joanna is disappointed, now you can't pull it out too much, you know, because then it gets corny. But, But he could pull it out, right? And it will bring life and hope and dead and hard situations. And do you know your God does the same? Every day, every moment, every second, if we would just hush and turn to the word and listen. Here's the thing, though. You and I can't sing a renewed song to the Lord and won't until we let God's voice and song lead the way. In the midst of our struggle, we're out of tune. The question is, do you hear him sing? Some of us are so busy trying to fix our own lives, we're trying to sing. Do you hear him sing first? Do you hear his note? Do you hear him give you the tone? Let me say this. Probably not. <laughs> All the time. Because we are stubborn and down in the dumps or unsaved. Some of us are unreached by God. You don't hear nothing. We've become tone deaf in our disappointment with God and our fear of not being right, of things not turning out the way we thought again, how God promised and we promised God or the way we promised God or the way we thought we made God promise. Or we are going through some serious life-changing discipline by God. Or we're just on the bottom side of God's plan right now. And God's song sounds bad or tricky to us. 
It sounds dangerous and untrustworthy. Words like love and grace and peace and joy and promise mean nothing or considering your life. So we can't find the note, right? We can't hear our part because we don't and can't accept or hear God's voice of love for us or have been hurt so badly. Hear this part, this part of Habakkuk's song, the second half of verse two. It says, in wrath, remember mercy. What does this mean when he asked for mercy? He's saying God remembers how and why his people became his people. He knew they couldn't wear white on a wedding day. But he let them wear white anyway because of his goodness. He knew they were going to act up. He knew they were going to not be faithful to him. He knew all of these things. He knew they would not be able to hear his voice in the wilderness when they got hungry. When he says mercy, he is saying God knows how to help us survive in the midst. Habakkuk, Habakkuk is asking that in this time, in the midst of the years of darkness and judgment, that God's song over his people be a song of mercy. And I'm not just talking about the words, I'm talking about the fact. When we should but don't sing with or back to God or know God's voice, when we don't always have the voice to sing because we don't have the heart to sing and no one is ever always in tune with the Lord, mercy says, God will not cut you out of his lyric. He won't stop singing to you just because you can't hear it right now. Mercy says that God will still and still does sing for you over the years, regardless of where you are and, will, and whether you will be able to hear him. Let me tell you what he's saying. Effectually, God will make you, to, make you hear his truth if you are his child. When we fail to agree with God or get excited about God or fall off the Christian evangelical wagon, if the word seems to go dark and still, when this dark, heavy, and hectic world, world seems like it's never going to change, when the words of good and glory and grace of gospel escape you, here is what mercy says in verse 3. God came from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. Do you see it? When God's people, those who can't seem to get God or get right with God, as you live under the story of his salvation, as you hear the word of God, as you come to God in prayer, the Bible says out of those means, through that, through the presentation of the gospel, through Jesus, that God like, imagine a dark day, right? That God rises out of the east. He, he rises and he shines in and on all the dark places in the rays of his glory with loud singing of love and welcome. And, and he's coming to you. His grace and song goes and it reaches where and whether you are scared and doubting and hiding or shut out towards and about God, the splendor of his glorious song makes our lives sing and praise him, not because we are so in tune with him all the time, but because what this is saying, he is so powerfully in love and in tune with those who are his, who those who live and lurk in the midst of hurt and despair and apathy and cold spiritual lives, those of us who sometimes live in the shadows, his glorious love and promise is going to break through over the mountains and reach us wherever we are, under whatever rock we're in, whatever, under, whatever cave we're in, the Lord's glorious rays are going to reach us.
and mercy and grace promises that his splendor and with it his love for us will eventually reach us and make our lives sing. Let me say this. And at the very least, vibrate, right? Sway with song and sound good with his voice all over our lives. On my iTunes, when I do the shuffle, oh, Lord, it can start, you know, some music that maybe shouldn't be coming out of there, come out of there. I don't know how that music got on my iPod. Some gangster stuff, rap, Tupac and all them, you know. When I'm depressed and angry, I feel good. Y'all know, y'all don't need music. Y'all be in the car getting in your little mood. You believers, you be mad. Christian channel, boom. Amy Grant, I'm old. <laughs> y'all change Amy Grant to Alanis Morissette. I know. I'm old. If y'all don't know those people, I'm sorry. Go to Wikipedia. <laughs> and sometimes it shuffles, and I'm like, Grr! and then somehow the gospel music track comes on next, and I'm done and straight for the day. It's kind of weird, right? Because someone else was praising and singing God's truth for me. I couldn't help but just join in. Well, I, I played a violin and I started playing at age five and I play sporadically. I'm not into it anymore. But when I played violin for Handel's Messiah with the Charlotte Symphony Orchestra when um, Uptown did it and they had some people from the churches join in and I got my little violin, blow the dust off, you know, and I'm sitting next to this violinist from the Charlotte Symphony Orchestra. Man, I sounded good. Like you sound good, we put the boys and men record. Ooh. I hit all the notes, I'm good. Until somebody turned that bad boy off. I was sitting there, I was, you know, I was, I'm like, I could be in the Charles Siff Yorkshire. I sound great. I was off, right? But the song of their perfection overwhelmed me so much that sometimes I played, though not perfect, with joy and confidence. It even got better and louder. And sometimes I just pantomimed it. Like Paul used to do on the Waltons, right? And I just let them take and carry me through into the next movement. I played in the merciful song of perfect, and guess what? When, I st when they stood up the bow, I got up too. <laughs> Leopold, right? The Bible says that God came from somewhere. Then he came to us, and when he came to earth, he was already full of praise. His praise and love for you was already perfect. His idea about himself was already being sung 
in a loud chorus. Even if the rocks were saying it, or the trees were saying it, or the sky was saying it, the Bible says the, the glory of the Lord is displayed in the heavens, and the perfect song of his love had already risen up. And what is he calling you to do? Those of us with imperfect praise to God who, who have forgotten and, and allowed things to get old and rusty and dusty, he is calling us by his mercy and grace to join in with his perfect praise about us and guess what? Take a bow with him in his glory. The Bible tells us in the Gospel of John that Jesus was the light of the world and that the fullness of God was in him, that we were in darkness, and that when Jesus came like God did for Mount Sinai in this scripture, when Jesus came out of God's historical and redemptive plan, that he became the light of the world for everyone in every situation in the world, and that it was Jesus that sang the new song, the song of renewal for you and me, those who were in darkness and couldn't and wouldn't sing for ourselves, and then an off thing happened. When he took our sin, he was shut up from being praiseworthy and song-worthy to God. And the Bible even tells us that there was silence in heaven. And then on the third day when he rose, right? Shagino, right? Shagion, right? And from heaven, a song so clear came through and from the work of Jesus Christ to resonate through the ages in the midst of your years. Jesus says, shut up, world. Shut up, busyness. Shut up, rat race. Shut up, darkness. Shut up, Satan. Shut up, lies. Shut up, cynicism. Shut up, bondage. Shut up, shame and fear and abuse and disappointment and rebellion. And join in singing with me, God's redeemed. And sing of his grace and his goodness and his worth. Because Jesus has freed you to sing. Sing to God from a changed tune, a renewed song, and the grace he has given for you to join in to the song of redemption. People of God, imperfect, broken, wanting to give up. Because of Jesus, shut up and sing. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you.